Good morning. My name's Rich, if you haven't met me yet. And we are in the third talk of uh, a series of three in Philippians 3. Uh, this has been a real blessing for me over the last few weeks. And the Lord knows that I need to hear this stuff more than anyone else. Two weeks ago, we talked about pursuing Christ as our treasure. That if we're serious about our eternal joy, then the g- gaining of Christ as our treasure and pursuing him will be something we are willing to give up all else to gain. Last week we talked about pursuing Christ as our righteousness, that there's a standard of perfection that God requires that is only attained through Christ. We can't attain it in our works, it's only through union with Christ. And today we are learning about pursuing Christ as our goal, to have Christ as our single overarching goal and the difference that that makes in life when we do. So I'll pray and then we'll getting deep dig into this text heavenly father thank you for your word uh, your word pierces our hearts it transforms us it's life to us uh, through it uh, you reveal yourself to us you're, you're the living word who came from heaven you revealed yourself father through your son who is the living word and you feed us on this word as we uh, even read this scripture today would you change us by it and thank you that we can know you through your word, thank you that you reveal yourself to us today. We, we pray that we'd be receptive to what you have to say to us. Uh, please shape us as you will, make us, uh, form us in the likeness of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. I really enjoy hiking. Uh, I've really enjoyed, I haven't done much hiking here, but I'm really excited about the opportunity. And what I have enjoyed, and our family has enjoyed over the last few weeks, is the opportunity to look around. Manchester is a fantastic place uh, for exploring around in every direction. There's great things to see. Yesterday we went up to the Lakes District, and uh, it it seems like every place we go, my feeling is, I feel like I could spend a week here and, and... just begin to explore the place, all the history and and the beautiful things to see. So we're enjoying that. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Dave and Emily uh, about the Lake District and asking them where to go. And they gave me a map and a compass, which if you knew me well and if they knew me well, would be very amusing. Because my tendency is to just often go somewhere without really giving thought to where I'm going. I'd like to see a hill in the distance and I want to climb it. Uh, I don't know if you're like that, but I am. You know, it's crazy, isn't it? We all know what happens when we just head off into the wilderness without a plan, without a goal, without any kind of idea about what we're doing or what we need to take with us. The thing that's crazy, though, is that this is how we approach life, isn't it, so often? We really don't give thought to where we're headed. We're just responding in the moment to whatever's going on in front of us. I don't know if this is a common phrase in, in, in the UK, but in Australia, if, often if you ask someone, how are you, they'll say, well, I'm getting there. And I'm always uh, eager to ask them where there is, uh, because I don't think anyone really knows. But as followers of Christ, we do know, don't we? We do know what our goal is. It's very clear. We have this destination we're heading towards, which is more exciting And more wonderful than anything else. And we need to keep this destination in front of us. If we don't, then it's easy to get lost. It's easy to get sidetracked. So what's our goal as followers of Christ? Well, you can see in this passage, it's very clear. And Paul mentions it in a number of ways. We'll just have a look at a few of these. Verses 10 and 11, what does he say? I want to know Christ, yes, the power of his resurrection... 
and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And then verse 20 and 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. So you can see in both of these verses, what's the goal? It's really clear, isn't it? It's the resurrection. It's the goal of being with Christ and sharing in his kingdom forever, his eternal kingdom, to gain him at the resurrection. There's no greater goal than that. This is our gold medal. This is our our destination that we're pursuing. And if you think about an Olympic athlete, uh, this is the picture in their mind, isn't it? What's the picture in their mind that drives them forward? All that training, all of that... uh, all of that agonising and all of the diets they go on and all of the time and energy that's put in. Think of uh, Greg Rutherford who won a, a long jump gold at the last Olympics and beaten Australian as it happens. Um, standing on the podium. That's the vision, isn't it? That's the vision for an Olympian is to stand there winning the gold medal. And that's exactly the kind of image that Paul has in his mind as he writes this. You can see in verse 14... Verse 13 and 14, he says this, Straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now this language is kind of Olympic language. It's it's the language of the, the winner of the laurel wreath, which was the ancient equivalent of a gold medal. I wonder, would you say that you're, as a follower of Christ, you're keeping your goal in view? Are you, do you have that goal? In your view, and are you striving toward it? It's easy, I know how much it is in my own life, to be distracted by other things that come in from the side, consumed by lesser goals that capture me in the moment. And we know what it's like for an Olympic athlete, or at least we can imagine, all of the work that goes in. There's a lot of this kind of thing. You can imagine Greg Rutherford, the the number of jumps, the number of run-ups and sprints. and It's striving, isn't it? And it's straining. And it feels like cost so much of the time. I'm sure that every Olympian feels like giving up at times. It's a lot of work. And you can see this kind of language in Philippians 3, verses 12 and 14. Twice he says, I press on toward the goal. I press on to take hold of it. And verse 13, straining toward what is ahead. The idea is reaching, grasping, stretching toward what is ahead. So between the resurrection and now... In the Christian life, there's a lot of striving, a lot of work to be done. Now, this kind of sounds, doesn't it, like we're supposed to be working our way to heaven. That's a little bit strange. When last week we saw that it's only by faith in Christ that we can get to heaven. So how do we understand this? It's a seeming contradiction. We're saved by grace alone. We sung about that just before. Only through Christ. But this language is of us really exerting effort. How do we understand this? I'll give you an example. I was born in the UK. I was born in Cambridge before 1983. I won't tell you when. Uh, Maybe it was 1982. And um, my parents are Aussies, but they just happened to be here. And so here's proof. I've got a little ugly mugshot there. Why would they let this bloke into the country? But here I am. Now, all my life I've been a British citizen. But I needed to take hold of that citizenship. Uh, I don't sound like a British citizen, but I've always, according to this government, been one. 
But it took a lot of work, I can tell you, to actually get a passport and to go through the process of bringing my family in and actually laying claim to that citizenship. There was a lot of work to do. In other words, I possessed citizenship, but I had to strive to take hold of it, to lay claim to it. And the same is true for us in Christ Jesus. And that is that it's almost paradoxical, isn't it? And the scriptures talk about this again and again. Is that our citizenship is in heaven, like it says in verse 21. But we need to strive to enter. Uh, We've gained Christ, but we need to press on to gain him. We have eternal life. What does Jesus say in John 3.36? Anyone who believes the Son has eternal life. Present tense, has eternal life. But yet we must struggle to take hold of it. Look at verse 12. Paul says, Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So Christ has won us, we belong to him, he's taken a hold of us, but yet we press on to gain him. It's strange language, isn't it? But lots of scriptures speak this way. Matthew 7.13, Jesus says, Strive to enter the narrow gate. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. 2 Peter 1.10, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. See those verses there. And an example would be a good husband knows, and it's a challenging thought, isn't it, husbands? A good husband knows that he has to continue to pursue and to win his wife even once he's married. Philippians 2.12, it says, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So in our lives, as followers of Christ, there's this strange combination of rest and assurance on one side that we have in our hearts and a peace and a knowledge that our eternal life is secure in Christ and it's not by our doing. And at the same time, a striving and a pressing on to gain eternal life in the body. So the race is won, but yet we press on to win the race. Now, would you say your life is marked by pressing on to win the prize? What does that even look like? What does it look like? How do we measure this? Well, uh, in the last few weeks, we've been, my wife and I have been getting to know Manchester, driving around and just about every day getting lost. Now, um, there's one way to tell when you're lost, and that is a really obvious way. And that is when you show up at the same place you were at not long before. You know that you're not making any progress toward your goal. And, you know, we know that we're not in a healthy situation as followers of Christ if we keep, if we're at the same place, if we're not making progress. And a sure sign of life and health and growth in the Christian life is that we're making progress in our faith and our love. Living things mature, don't they? Children grow to be mature adults if everything's healthy. Saplings grow to trees, tall trees. Now, how would you say you're making progress in your faith and your love? Are you growing to be more like Christ? In what ways would you or others say that's evident in your life? Have a look at verses 15 to 16. It says, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, this view of pressing on toward the goal. And if on some point you think differently... That too, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. In other words, make sure you're progressing. Now I take verse 15 to mean when he says, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. 
maybe you're not thinking exactly like me, but this is the way I understand it. Don't, don't give your attention to self-renovation or fixing yourself or feeling down or guilty or giving up. But just give attention to growing in your faith where you are. Give attention to progressing where you are in your faith. May we not be like the Ephesian church, you know, the letters to the Revelation, the churches in Revelation. What did the Lord say to the church in Ephesus? He said, you've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. May we not be like that. And it's, it's very important that we're marking and celebrating growth in our Christian life and one another's, that we're championing that, that we have a really important role in encouraging one another and celebrating growth and cheering one another on. None of us has arrived in our faith, have we? And it's a dangerous sign if we think we have. And Paul knows he hasn't arrived. Of all people, you would think that Paul as a Christian would, uh, would be closer to the goal, but in his mind... He's not. He, and we need to think the same way. Have a look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. So there's a healthy dissatisfaction, isn't there, in the Christian life that Jesus says, if any of you is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so we come to Jesus and we're satisfied, but we're thirsty for more of him. It's healthy to hunger for more of Christ. If we're satisfied with where we are, if we're complacent, that's not a healthy sign. And here when Paul says, not that I've already arrived at my goal, the word there is perfect. I haven't been made perfect. In other words, I'm not complete. So yes, I'm completing Christ, but I haven't become fully mature. I hunger for more of him. So there's a healthy discontentment. Would you say you have that healthy discontentment, that hunger for more of Christ? The most mature disciple of Christ is the one who's most keenly aware of how much they need to grow how much we need sanctifying work done and how much more we can grasp of Christ's love. Now let's look at our main, second main subsection here, the benefits of pursuing one great goal. Uh, I wonder if you can um, think of people who are ob- obsessed with one thing. People who are obsessed with one thing are often quirky, eccentric sort of folks, aren't they? Um, think about famous inventors like Edison or um, Tesla. They were like this, you know, some of these men got up at 3am and they, and they worked till 11pm and they were devoted to this cause for decades. This, here, here before us is Charles Dickens. Now, Charles Dickens couldn't stand to have a single hair out of place and he combed his hair, ran a comb through his hair a hundred times a day and uh, he was very pedantic about his study and every word of his sentences being correct. He was a man who was, had some interesting characteristics and quirks. Now, it's clear from Paul's writing here that he had one goal, one obsession. Have a look at verse 13b, the second half of verse 13. It says, One thing I do, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is